Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes, check it out, and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Yosef Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is Aaron Davis from Train, Adapt, Evolve. Aaron is a sports performance and health coach with 10 years experience coaching athletes and teams across multiple sports. Utilizing multiple diagnostic technologies and labs, Davis firmly believes health and performance go hand in hand. He is a constant student of sports performance and health, drawing upon knowledge from leading experts in the field. Davis coaches athletes in the Austin, Texas area, as well as international and U.S. athletes remotely. He shares his experiences and training philosophies, speaking at seminars and writing for Train, Adapt, Evolve. On this episode, Aaron and I discuss Aaron's background and his influences. Why do so many people seem to be moving to Austin and Texas? What are the good and not so good things that he currently sees within the physical preparation profession? And what solutions would Aaron offer for the not so good things that he currently sees? What is Aaron's training philosophy? What does Aaron's training system look like? I asked Aaron, what is the Moxie unit and what does it do? I asked Aaron, who have been his biggest influences when it comes to orthopedic assessments? I asked Aaron to give us his thoughts regarding energy system development. We go deep on this topic. I asked Aaron, how does he individualize and monitor his programming for all of his clients and athletes? I asked Aaron about occlusion mechanisms that can happen within muscles during exercise. 
Hi, yes, Aaron. How can the mitochondria help enhance muscle relaxation in between muscular contractions? I asked Aaron about his thoughts on concurrent training. I asked Aaron about his thoughts on central versus peripheral cardiovascular assessments and training prescriptions. I asked Aaron his thoughts on the importance of sleep and performance. I asked Aaron what are his clients' buy-in levels like when they first come to train, adapt, evolve. I asked Aaron what have been the biggest lessons he's learned so far in his life and career. I also asked Aaron what is the difference in the aerobic adaptations to cardiac muscle from running versus resistance training. Wrapping up, I asked Aaron for his current and top book recommendations. I asked Aaron for his top life advice. I asked Aaron if he only had one year left on planet Earth, how would he spend that year and why? And finally, I asked Aaron if you could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this is an outstanding episode with Aaron, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Aaron Davis, we are recording, my man. First off, thank you so much for making time, and thank you so much for getting out of a coffee shop, going five minutes back to your facility, so we had way better connection to audio. So, by the way, it's way better, and the video quality is even way better, so I appreciate it. So, yep. uh, just uh, lucky enough, we didn't go too far into a conversation at the coffee shop, but uh, the first question I ask everyone is background, and then, uh, as I said, you have a list full of questions here, which I showed earlier on, and I'm uh, looking forward to digging into those. But first of all, give us your background. Yeah, background, uh, track and field athlete from very, very young, uh, eight. As, as we were saying, yeah, 800 meters, you yeah, fucking, yeah, fucking animal. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, had to, had to deal with that for, you know, shit, uh, I was pretty much doing that since I was eight years old, clear to like 22, 23, trained for the 800 meters, uh, highly specialized, was always in track and field, uh, I always tell people if I can do anything else better, uh, like play basketball or anything else, I'd have done that rather than ran. Uh, but running, you know, paid for majority of college, so that was good. Aaron, um, Aaron, you're white. What, what, what were you thinking about basketball? Yeah, yeah, I, I, just because it's. I, fun. I know Larry Bird, but he's an outlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, anything that beats like, uh, well, I went to Alamosa, Colorado, for uh, most of my college and training out there, and so we were doing 17 mile long runs in like zero degree weather in Colorado, up at like 7,000 feet altitude. If I could have done anything else but that to pay for college and be successful, I would have. Um, so, you know, I got inundated really early with endurance training and energy systems and, uh, even from a, a collegiate athlete. And so then, uh, from that, I actually transferred the last couple of years to get my BS cause I was a shit, uh, student, um, was, was really focusing on, um, uh, you know, more training and, I was thinking I was going to go pro and blah, blah, blah. But uh, looking back at it, it's just like uh, weird, you know, kid dreams, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, but then when I realized that, like, I just fell in love with coaching the last couple of years uh, in Alamosa. Most of that's from the coach up there, Damon Martin, which uh, if anybody hasn't heard of him, he's probably one of the most successful NCAA endurance coaches uh, ever. Uh, and he is a phenomenal person. And so, uh, having him as kind of like a mentor the, the last couple of years when I kind of got my head on straight uh, really dove me down into coaching and energy systems and, uh, you know, studying. And then mm -hmm. I transferred out uh, to go to a little bit closer to home to finish up school so I could really concentrate uh, and not have to deal with the temptation of training all the time and running. And uh, finished that in Kansas, Fort Hayes State University and was lucky enough to be around uh, an extremely bright sprint coach, which in my past podcasts, uh, his name's uh, Dennis Weber. And he yeah, yeah. 
he was uh, he was doing stuff that you know when I was at Altus uh, that you would say is very similar to like Stu McMillan stuff, right? So and what what, uh, what what year was that? What timeline? Oh man, that was two thousand five to two thousand eight. He Way was ahead. yeah, he was doing uh, a lot of coordination uh, type type stuff, which is uh, you know with through drilling and like faster uh, you know turnover type like dribbling. It was just at the time I was all like, oh, this stuff doesn't matter, blah blah blah. Much like what you were uh, explaining to me about your first mentor, but yeah. uh, Martin McCarthy, that's you, by the way, just in case you're yeah. Listening. And so. Uh, you know, at the time I didn't appreciate it as much, but now looking back, uh, you, you know, having him come in my path and then putting that together with the endurance stuff from, uh, Alamosa, uh, man, you couldn't get a more broad and deep level of, um, like preparation, I guess you could say. Uh, and then just from there, I went in to start coaching at a, at a college, uh, was the head track and field coach, coached every event from, well, at the time, shot put to pole vault to distance running. Uh, and so that was an awesome experience. And then mm-hmm. one that was like, realized that I didn't want to coach all the events. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you kind of find what you really love. And that was mostly just for me, like sprints and distance. Uh, and I just kind of dove down those rabbit holes. And then after that, I went right into uh, the private sector down here in Austin. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, after that, um, sorry. Um, all right, listen, you can, you, you can do any, if someone wants to join in, if someone wants to, strip, <laughs> if someone wants to strip off naked and twirl their top yeah. off in the background, uh, by the way, swearing is encouraged in this podcast. So, okay. Gotcha. Now I just had some, uh, clients that walked out. So, okay. um, but no, then, uh, you know, from there just, uh, went down to Austin, Texas, uh, kind of followed a girl down here to got a job and I was like, uh, I want the next challenge. And so Austin's kind of a fitness, health, performance type city. It's uh, what, what, Why do so many people go there? Because Evan Brand said he just packed up, and I think he's left, but he, uh, he also went down. He's, uh, he's a functional medicine practitioner. He's on podcast. But he said, like, I think he's from Kentucky is where he's originally from. But he just was like, I just went to Austin on a whim. And then Ben House just went to Austin on a whim. And then you said you just went there. What is it with Austin that draws people? Uh I think it's uh, just the culture and then like everybody here is doing some kind of fitness. Uh, there is, uh, I mean, there's a CrossFit gym on pretty much every block. There's yoga on every block. There's cycling. Uh, that's, uh, that's around the world, but just so you know, not just us. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Wow, gotcha. Another, yeah. another CrossFit. Yeah. I don't know how they stay in business, to be honest. Well, but, uh, it's kind of like, you know, one opens, one closes, but kind of thing. I yeah, think, that's I think it's kind of stable. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. You're the guest here. Shut up. Yeah. No, no it's all good. I'll, I'll but, uh, me. <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's perfect. Um, and that's, what's funny is that when, uh, it's m- nice that you mentioned Ben house, cause like me and him literally opened train up the ball together. Uh, that was what four or five, man, it might've been a little bit longer than that now, five years ago. Uh, and the real benefit of why we wanted to come together and do it, uh, was to be integrated model. In other words, take the, what we, thought was important at the time, functional medicine, and then also sports performance and put it mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now our, our ideas have changed and obviously went down to Costa Rica and then, um, my other business, business partner, Pat Estes has come on board and now we've kind of, uh, really tried to look at it from movement, uh, integrated medicine, nutrition, like sports performance, physiology, like now trying to pull everything together. Um, and I think now we, we've come to a good spot where we at least feel like we're 
in the right room when we're when we're trying to evaluate and improve athletes. But that's uh, that's kind of been my journey uh, up to this point so far. And uh, you know, it's cool because right now it's like exciting to figure out what what are the next questions, not necessarily the next answers uh, that we're going to find, but questions we can ask mm. to uh, you know to figure some more stuff out. Man, I have so many questions for you. Yeah, yeah. We won't have enough time. But before we get to because I listened to your, uh, as I say it to you offline, listen to your interview with my grandson. I've actually listened to that interview with my grandson loads of times. Um, hey, hey, by the way, did you ever get back at Eric Goddard? You were like, I'm going to get that guy. No. Uh, what? Where, where is, like, I know he, where, he, what, where he is work-wise, but, like, he doesn't know social media, does he not? Oh, God, I love him for that. I love him for that. Uh, uh, but, I hate, that's bollocks. <laughs> the disservice to the world. But like they, uh, people, people need to get that shite out of their head that if you go on you know, Instagram or whatever, you're not a coach, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's just that like, he's, what he's doing is uh, time intensive. And yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's acted as a filter for me uh, when I come up with, really crazy ideas and uh and, you know, and t- tell me this aaron is he as smart as people say he is i hear he's uh, a- yeah he's uh savant smart probably right like it's it's uh not only that too but you tell him one thing he picks it up really fast and that's uh there's not too many people like him let's put it that way like you see one of those fuckers he just reads something once and it's like it's already comprehended yeah and then he could tell you the mechanism from like uh you know step one right uh and that's why it's been good to me because like at the end of the day, I'll just be like, Hey, what about this? This is what I'm thinking. And then he can tear it apart and he can either be like, Oh, Aaron, that's amazing. Or, uh, that doesn't fit this, this, and this. And then, uh, you know, he's been one person that I think as I get older, uh, our dialogue is going to be valuable. So, so yeah, listen to your interview with Mike. And then I just literally was, uh, out walking for our own interview here and lying in the sun and listening to the podcast yourself and Pat Essis did with uh, Bruce Trent. Um, and I was really interested in, in, in past background as well. So I know he said he's very influenced by like Gary Gray and applied functional science and um, Todd Wright. Is it, is it Todd Wright? That, yep. He tra- is he, does he still have trained for the game? Is yeah, he has not? trained for the game, but he's... Uh, uh, he's with the 76ers yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he still yeah, has, he has. He has somebody running the facility for him, has he? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I yeah. remember years ago, Charlie Weingroff, I've been good friends with Charlie now. You you know Charlie, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember Charlie said uh, this a few years back, you know, and, and like people be talking about Gary Gray's model, and Charlie, you know, be like, oh, it's terrible the way it's applied. Like he goes into flexion extension with load. Then Charlie said, like, he went to Todd Wright's train for game, and then he's like, ah, no, that's how you apply the model. He's like, I like what he does with it. So Charlie also said he completely changed his perspective of how you can actually use the principles from Gary Gray. Um, so it's interesting to hear that from from um, from Pat, too, like, you know, that, that that was in his background. He's a guy I definitely want to get on. Probably get two years on, we'll do, it. we'll do a three-way podcast at some stage, because yeah. I found that episode with Bruce Trent super interesting. But, yeah, uh, Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh uh, no, no, like that's, I think uh, Pat's probably one of his strengths is that like, I can tell him something from a physiological side and maybe mm-hmm. an environmental stimulus that I want athletes to uh, encounter as a stimulus and then he can figure it out from a practical side, right? Yeah. So uh, he, knows what, nice. he knows what movements would be able to give you that response. Yeah, and it's, uh, that's been nice because like all of us, we can't do everything, right? And so uh, he's kind of my, 
it's kind of a yin and yang, which is makes everything fit. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. So before I delve into more questions, more specific questions I have for you, uh, you mentioned you, you mentioned Dennis Weber. That was that was the gentleman's name, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, who else have been big influences on you, not only professionally but personally? Well, I've had I've, I've had time to spend with uh, obviously James Fitzgerald. I mean, when I first got to Austin CrossFit, and there was ties between the owner of the CrossFit I was at and and James, and so I got to spend some time with him, and that. Uh, obviously enlightened me to CrossFit training at that time. And that was probably 2010 or 11. Uh, mm. Got to spend like a week or so with him. Uh, obviously, Altus was another one that I got to spend time with Stu and, and Dan only for, uh, that's one of the first, I guess, uh, apprentice for like a week. Coach right? programs and Yeah. And so that was, that was awesome. And then just Dan being here in Austin, uh, had him for seminars and stuff right. like that. And, uh, We've had him in for some stuff to, you know, do some consulting work and that's been huge. Uh, you know, uh, other people I would say would be, uh, Brian Kozak, who's a, who's a coach up in Canada with hockey and then, uh, Jörg, Jörg Feldman, uh, who is, uh, by far, uh, the smartest man I've probably got to talk to. Uh, Ooh, I've never heard, heard of him, a new name. I love it. I love to hear a new yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, all those guys have been, instrumental in like formulating ideas and um and a lot of it is just picking up little things they say and though it it doesn't mean maybe much to them when they're saying it i take it back and try to deconstruct it uh and so a lot of the stuff that Jurg has told me to the years i have taken it and kind of uh, try to figure out the whys behind and that's what's kind of led me down a lot of roads that I've, i've been in um but other than that i would say obviously like uh pat you know, Patrick Estes, like my, my business partner has been the other, you know, kind of driving. It's just, it's just, uh, think about it as how rare it is to be around somebody that, uh, not only as our intentions when we work with people the same in the sense that we just want to help people, but then also too, just that we want to make good art, you know? And, uh, and I think that's like really, I don't know, that's, it's just rare to find two people in the same business that's driving, uh, in the same direction. And so, um, if I had to kind of invite everybody to the table that's formulated uh, who I am today, and uh, that would probably, or at least as a coach, that would be, you know, the people I would probably have come over. Mm, sweet, bud. Sweet. All right, one more general question, and then we're going to get into things like energy systems and O2 saturation and moxie units and yeah. uh, omega waves and much shit like that, and DC <laughs> in the brain and quantum yeah. physics and. Oh, shit. You know, should Truman have dropped a bomb on Hiroshima? Who, uh, we're, 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 going, we're going too far now. We're going too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, The Vietnam War. Um, but are you into documentaries? Ben, ben or Ken Burns' documentary, Vietnam War. Unreal for anyone who's listening who's also into documentaries. Uh, it's phenomenal. Um, question I'm going to ask is the good and the not so good. So currently uh in your own um opinion what are the good and the not so good things you currently see within the coaching profession within the rehabilitation profession just basically within this whole sort of universal um field that me and you both have a passion for and the, the listeners have so i mean you know i usually i'd say physical preparation if we're more into physical preparation things or it could be nutrition or something in nutrition but like myself and yourself are into like this whole sort of like universal perspective of everything so what what are the, like the really good things you're seeing within this just this whole let's call it human performance profession 
And what are the not so good things you see? And for the not so good, give us some solutions. <clears throat> well, uh, I guess from the from the good stand uh, standpoint, there are people now starting to look at it holistically. But uh, it feels like it's been a bottom up, right? Where some of the people that have had jobs in, say, the professional ranks or whatever else, they they're more worried about keeping their jobs than trying to expand knowledge sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's nice seeing coaches now coming into some of the professional ranks and everything else like that, that is trying to not only like, uh, interject on, uh, you know, maybe a broad scope of physiology, uh, or who the person is, but also trying to quantify it so that they can back up their decisions. Uh, like Eric, uh, Otter would be one of the, you know, I would say guys, Landon Evans would be another guy that is doing that type of work. And, uh, it's inspiring to see that. And I, I love it. And they're asking good questions and they're, uh, they're finding out ways to simplify certain things that I think is only going to make the future in SNC better. Uh, the, the bad side right now, uh, what I see is just really, it's, it's very simple. It's just miscommunication or, or a lack of communication between, uh, uh, certain I would say like institutions or like you know organizations Um, because right now it's it's uh, I think we've all seen sports med S&C and then the 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 sport coaches um, or if they don't communicate then the athlete is the one that ends up suffering right Uh, you know and and even in the private sector I mean we're lucky that we have an osteopath uh, nutritionist you know, if it's outside any, any of our scopes uh, that we can talk to and we can actually have dialogue. Uh, so when somebody comes into us, we can, you know, go into the osteopathic session and like see what's really going on and have dialogue and, uh, you know, have the tough conversations if we need to. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing. And I think as we expand SNC and we start seeing development from young ages. It's just going to need to be more of that where everybody's kind of on the same page. Uh, I think right now it's, it's a uh, percentage of that happening right now. I think it's, it's very low. Uh, yeah. At least that's, that's been my uh, experience so far. What would your solution be to that then? What would you say to break down those silos or to break down that segregation? Man, it's uh, I know, I know James Smith, the thinker would say the Gildring dynamics. <laughs> yeah i don't I, you know it's it's hard i just think that like when we when we talk about uh whoever is in charge and usually there's a, there's a point person uh, or the person that's making the decisions uh on hiring the staff or whatever else it's probably those people's job at first to say hey this is a culture that i want right it's an athlete first uh, not that you have to be like babying athletes because you have to freaking train hard period uh, but uh in the hiring process or expectations being able to say, Hey, all of you need to communicate. We need to build systems. Uh, in fact, if we can't build systems then we need to learn from people that are leading in that and not, and put our egos aside so we can learn the system so that we can implement it in our own. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, cause a lot of these guys that are doing the really good work, they, they're not going to just, they don't keep it all to themselves. Like you can ask them questions. You can learn, uh, to see like, why is it working for them? Uh, and, uh, and at least start implementing certain parts till it grows. And then you can come up with your own, right, uh, ideas on it. But I think that's probably where it starts. Um, 
to set expectations in the sense that like, hey, athlete first, we all have to be on the same page. What are the processes and systems in place that can allow us to do this? Yeah, yeah, great stuff. All right, so your training philosophy, give it to us. <laughs> uh, man, it's changed. It's probably changing even more now. Uh, you know, just you, you add little, little bits. Uh, I think for us, uh, I think people would probably say we're energy system biased uh, from our, what we try to do. Um, but if you actually look at the nuts and bolts, it's, it's probably more of a, some would say coordination or nervous system based. Uh, we really want to try to start there and then expand out. It's, uh, it's almost like uh, teaching somebody a movement and then making it faster, making it stronger, and then making it more resilient, uh, resilient to fatigue, right? Uh, and so that's kind of our process. So we start kind of from that core of uh, maybe technique, and then now how can we make it faster, stronger, you know, uh, and expand out to how can we make it more resistant? So uh, in essence, that's what we do. And so if you think about it from my sprint background has allowed me to take it from like a short to long is like what we characteristically would say something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can think of the neuro uh, parts of everything we do is probably from that perspective. Uh, and then, uh, you know, from the physiological side, we're, we're trying to implement certain systems in play. In other words, making them resilient and trying to build structure, uh, mm -hmm. the structure being both from a muscular standpoint, uh, microvascular, uh, heart, um, uh, you know, respiratory muscles. And then uh, when it gets closer into competition, then letting all the, all the kids play together. Right. So, uh, and you could say that our periodization goes from structural and emphasis uh, in all realms to functional, right. Where now you're taking the, the function of the specifics of their sport and allowing everybody to play together and seeing how it works. Uh, and if it doesn't, we go right back to uh, the drawing board and we start again. So it's always structure, then function. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, maybe different semantics, different wording, but, uh, you know, if you look at a lot of top models, there's some similarities there. You're starting off, you know, mode control, movement quality, and then building physical capacities on top of that good movement. So um, making sure you get your technical models down first before you start developing, again, physical capacities, because if your movement breaks down, you're fucked. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, so that's your philosophy. What about the, so that's the why. Give me the how now. So let's get, let's go from training philosophy to training system. So I, I turn up at a, um, uh, uh, fucking. Train adaptive ball. I'm having a brain fart here. A train <laughs> adaptive ball. Do you know why yeah. I had a brain, do you know why I had a brain fart there? Because when I heard you say for the first time, I had no idea what the fuck you were saying. All, 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 all I heard was a train adaptive ball. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is he saying? And then I heard Mike Robertson say, a train, adapt, evolve. And I was like, oh, yeah. adapt is the middle word. I was like, yeah. it sounded like a train evolve. And I was like, it's something adapt, evolve. <laughs> or something, something evolve. I didn't know what it was. I was like, ah, a train, adapt, evolve. Yeah. Sorry, anyway, yeah, yeah. major brain fart there. And I, wouldn't mind, but I wouldn't mind, but all day I've been saying, a train, adapt, evolve myself. But anyway. Say I, I, I show up anyway at Train, Adapt, Evolve. Uh, what's yeah. that process look like? I walk in and say, Aaron Davis, uh, Patrick, train me. Let's go. Like, yeah. So, uh, well, assessment all the way through to the program design or as much as you can give us. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, we just start off with our eval process, and that's uh, you know obviously on table work. Uh, we, we look at that from uh, probably an osteopathic view. Uh, we we like to see leverages in uh, structure because that's going to dictate obviously the the muscle dynamics. We've had PRI or you know all the courses there, so we're uh, we're kind of looking things through that perspective uh, on the table. Uh, we obviously are doing omega wave assessment. We uh, we have the team system, so kind of the older system that's, I don't even know if they sell it anymore, but. That's like, uh, is that like the 35 grand system? Uh, yeah, I think it's like 20 or so, 18, 20 K. Um, and where so. Did, where did you get that money from? Uh, <laughs> we got it from a CrossFit gym. I convinced the CrossFit owner to buy it. And then uh, me and Ben uh, bought it off of them. And then it's been at Train Up Evolve since. So uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've been using that now for two, seven years or so uh, and so that's part of the assessment right off the bat um, and I like that long test in Omega Wave it, it's underutilized uh, but it's been a huge dashboard for us when we look at uh, both the regulation of like the respiratory uh, system uh, detox and then also hormonal um, and then it's just neat seeing that and then also correlating a lot of the blood labs that we have so uh, right I think that's probably why it didn't sell so much early on because we never really looked at things, you know, coaches, when they looked at that in the past, they might've just been like, well, I don't know how to influence that. So whatever, like let's put it off to the side, which um, now it's just been, it's been huge uh, mm -hmm. for us. So we start off with that. And then uh, towards the, the, the tail end of that assessment, it's going to be a, a movement assessment. Pat, Pat puts everybody uh, through a movement assessment that we videotape and we're just, just looking at basic movements. So they have movement proficiency, uh, even over simple things, uh, shoot, it could be certain skips or, you know, just simple movements because, um, we just want to get an idea of where they're at. Right. Um, and then how can we improve it over time? Mm. Uh, and then, uh, after that, then we go into Moxie test. So depending on their sport, um, we try to get the Moxie test as specific as possible, uh, given the, the environment. So if it's a runner treadmill, uh, CrossFit athlete, we end up doing maybe some rowing or another modality. Um, it's a basketball player. Maybe we might do it on a spin bike if we don't have any other, you know, uh, environment to do it in. Maybe we do it actually on the court. Uh, but we're just taking in data and just watching. And um, and that's that's step one for us. And then from there, that gives us ideas on limiters, mm. uh, what we, we define as limiters. And then... Um, then we know where our priority is. So you did this in Mike Robinson podcast too, uh, and it would be good for this too. What's the MOXIE? MOXIE is just near infrared spectroscopy. It's uh, it just looks at well, it shows a, a nice red light into your into uh, the muscle tissue, and it picks up uh, oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin. Right. How, so we, how did you come across that, by the way? Where where did you first hear this piece of equipment? Uh. I was, there's a website called Fact Canada. Uh, their forum was huge on uh, like cycling and that's actually Jurg Feldman's uh, website. And I was looking into lactate a lot. I just read, uh, was it Obert's book on, on lactate? And like, I was like, well, I got to find a way to actually quantify what I'm doing. Um, and then it was actually Landon Evans who was like, hey, do not do lactate do this this will be the next thing um 
figure this out first, it's going to change the way you look at energetics. And so uh, mm. I, I just jumped on it. Like literally, I think that next week I ordered Moxie um, and got three monitors right off the bat and just started playing. Right. Um, the downside to a lot of the technology is that they don't give you user manual or physiological like modeling or mapping. So you get the technology, you see you know, shit on the, the computer and you're like, all right, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Right? And that's both for Omega Wave and, and Moxie. And <clears throat> though they're doing better job of getting out information, um, it's, it's really on the coach to like figure out where it falls in line with physiology. And uh, yeah, we've just been trying to, you know, crack the code on all that um, ever since. And I probably got Moxie maybe three or four years ago. So been been using it a while now. Uh, and it's been... Uh, huge in our evaluation and training process. Is, there, we, is there videos showing the Moxie unit being used? Like, so I know you're saying it's just, you shine the infrared light, but like, what, like, am I doing something when, like, am I doing a test when, when that's on me or what's? <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, the monitors are just little square monitors. We tape them up to, uh, an active muscle and I have my computer up and we generally put, you know, it could be three to four monitors on somebody in different locations. And we have, them, we have them do exercise and we can see O2 and energetics in real time, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we can see if somebody's desat uh, desaturating a lot, we can see differences between right and left leg. Um, and uh, yeah, for us, it's, we use it every day. Training, evaluation, it's, uh, it's a big piece of what we do. Super interesting. Just going back real quick to your orthopedic assessments, you said they're uh, osteopathic based. So like who who would have been uh like who would have influenced that like would it be like give a give a stuff or just basic osteopathic or investments or and when like what what are you looking at there just basic joint ranges of motions and uh yeah in a sense uh we we take it a little bit deeper uh with the you know even even looking at certain ribs uh people don't realize that they have ribs that sometimes roll up and down uh very slightly uh, and influences shoulder mechanics and things like that. So, uh, also cervical stuff. Um, and we're lucky just to partner with a, a great osteopath that helps us, um, in that regard. And so, um, it's, we kind of call them Yoda because literally we can send them pretty much anybody and they'll walk out. Some, some people walk out crying cause they've, they've never been not in pain and just seeing him work, uh, and, realizing that some of the high velocity stuff that maybe you might see in traditional chiropractic stuff that you don't necessarily need to do that if you know how muscle moves bone. Uh, and he's been instrumental in like how we view movement. And um, then you take that background and then Pat's background, and then you can now see a bridge between mm -hmm. how structure and movement from a Gary Gray standpoint. Uh, and so I think that's been, huge in our evaluation process when we look at movement right let's move on to energy systems because i know that's one yeah. of the main topics we want to talk about what brought you down that rabbit hole and i really want to get into this discussion of central versus peripheral i know you know with moxie and like with uh, muscle o2 saturation um you were saying like that can give you a window and looking at total hemoglobin that can give you a window into like if it's peripheral or not peripheral and it can give, even give you a window into like how certain training sessions may need, may need to be manipulated on, on a certain day, depending on the information you're getting back at that current time. But just starting off with energy systems, like what 
what brought you down that whole rabbit hole and like get into like your you know your thoughts about energy systems and and uh, yeah just take it away yeah um well endurance athletes are somehow obsessed with all that right like uh you know you're, you're type a and so you're like oh this is aerobic this is anaerobic i can't do so much anaerobic work because it might influence my aerobic stuff and blah 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 uh, and uh my coach told me before I left Adam State, I asked him, hey, what's the keys to being a successful coach? And then obviously he said, you know, look somebody in the eye, always be intentful, care about the person. And then the last thing was um, know your energy systems. And like, be on fucking time. Yeah, well, it's for sure. Uh, and so I just took that. And then from the moment he said that, I have been like diving down that hole um, majority of my days like I that's probably what I study the most uh, even now still um, and so that just led me down to, to kind of going down that rabbit hole and now it's evolved over time and, and uh, tried to trim the fat of, of things that like we, we think we say um, you know in, in SNC I really feel bad because we don't we talk a lot and we like see a lot of things but like it, I think it confuses most people Right. Like I see like residual training adaptations, you know, and then we, we look at that and we're like, oh, 30 days, this 30 days, that. And in my head, I'm like, I'm like, man, that's just not how like organisms arrange themselves or, you know, it's like, it's nice on paper. That's cool. But it doesn't Thank fucking Christ. Somebody else has said this. I don't have amount of times I've said this. Everyone just requotes that Ishram book. Yeah. Aerobic residuals, and I, I remember I've talked to those coaches. They go, "Well, aerobic and strength last thirty days," and I go, "Plus or minus five. They go, "Yeah," and it's like you've read the book too, and it's like, "Yeah," <laughs> and uh, it's not fucking factual. No, no, and it's uh, and nothing, nothing against Vladimir Ishin. I mean, the man was trying to put some sort of modeling guidelines forward. People took that and was like, "Well, this is fucking fact." It's just like I don't think so. No, 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 and, and like, yeah, it's just. It's not. And so then like, I think coaches come in and then it's like, uh, we're, we're really good at like saying, okay, this is what this means. And we're even good. Like, like we make it concrete. Like, well, this is what this says. This is that's now that's stored in the back of my mind. I'm never going to question it because it might slow my, my, me down on progress. And so, uh, I've tried to deconstruct a lot of that and just try to figure out like what actually matters and then try to study that. Um, and so that's led me down to, like I said, using Moxie and, uh, you know, and, and really, if we think about it, like just, so when we talk about my model, right? Like, or not even my model, just the model we use. Um, it's, uh, it's really about how can we build like physical structure to deal with the demands? That's it. Like, that's literally it. You, you build stronger muscles or faster muscles. Uh, you build uh, the roads into Rome, the capillaries, right, that can distribute uh, blood flow and then obviously take out uh, metabolic product if need be. Uh, you build the respiratory muscles to uh, not only be strong uh, for a posture, uh, you know, you don't really want it with posture, but I mean, it happens anyways in sport, let's be honest, uh, the diaphragm. And so you want to build strength, you want to build endurance, you want to build coordination even in those muscles uh, or even in that system. Uh, and so... It's all based on that, and it's very simple. It's like you just do work to build those structures and then let them play, and don't be the one that's taking away from the play. So if we think of the play being they're using it in function and they're driving certain systems, endocrine systems, blah, 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 uh, then you can't do all that type of work also 
in your training. So think about it as, okay, I just need to hit structure. I need to get in and out of a session as easy and as quickly as I need to. And mm -hmm. the workouts are hard, but I need to apply that stimulus and make sure I am actually applying that stimulus, not just saying it because I read it in the book, uh, and then get out and let them recover. And then you just you put uh, multiple sessions or mo multiple cycles in with that intent, and then that's where you get improvement that is long-lasting. That way they can operate in their sport for long periods of time without getting into trouble. Uh, a good example of this is that in the NFL, we see some people uh, in the offseason go to these trainers that are uh, doing crazy antics and they push them physiologically to an edge where the endocrine system and all these other systems, immune system, uh, are maybe pushed to the edge. And then they throw them in their sport because now it's the season, right? But they've already, they've already been pushed. And so now they have to be pushed in that. And then their, their lifespan or shelf life is smaller. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for us, it's not, it's not, we're not about that. We're about building structure uh, and monitoring that structure and then letting them go off and, and seeing it uh, being displayed as function later on, right? Uh, and if we do get lucky enough to, to push the, the physiological envelope in some of those systems, we do it, but we do it with precision. Uh, that way we always know that if they have to go compete, they're able to do that and withstand the... Uh, the demands of their sport and, or season. If that how, makes sense. How are, it makes absolutely no sense. Cause so now I'm going to ask more questions. <laughs> uh, how are you determining what an individual needs then from a training perspective? Like how are you saying like this person needs this adaptation for their goal and the context of this individual? So uh, like, uh, yeah, it's basically how, how are you individualizing that program design? And then on from that, how are you monitoring? So you uh -huh. You spoke. You said just there in that previous section that you know actually knowing that you're actually getting the adaptation you're seeking for. Like how how are you objectifying that as well? So two questions in there. How are you determining what an individual needs, and how are you monitoring that to objectively know that you're getting the adaptation that you you sought out to get in the first place? Yeah. Well, that that Moxie and then the Mega Wave is going to give us hints uh, to what is needed. Obviously, there's like uh, you know the how would you say it, the, the strong enough argument, like, well, how strong is strong enough or whatever else. I actually think I have the answer to that. It's actually, can you actually coordinate? Can your muscles coordinate? Um, and if they, if you're really strong, but they can't coordinate, then why the hell are you, you strong? Mm -hmm. Like you, they're, you know, if you're always bracing, the muscle can't turn on and turn off really quick uh, because that's, so coordination is number one, right? Yeah. So it all comes to, back to fucking skill acquisition, man. If you yeah. can't take that strength, that power, that speed, and bring it into one beautiful piece of skill acquisition in your specific sport, it isn't worth shit. Yeah, and that's where Moxie comes in for us because as we evaluate them in movement, we can see if they are occluding. In other words, if the muscles are bracing and staying on, they're cutting off venous or arterial. Uh, occlusions or decreating that. Uh, that means oxygen doesn't go to the muscle. That means they're doing blood flow restriction in the middle of their, their games, right? Or in the middle of their conditioning. So when, when coaches, this is so important. If they have that reaction and you're trying to do a conditioning uh, session, they are not conditioning. They are surviving in an oxygen deprived situation, right? 
and then you're going to have different hormonal issues come on. So for us, it's, we're going to condition them. We want to make sure that it's in a manner that there is blood in, blood out, um, even if it's very low load. So what that might look like is we might take them to a spin bike. No resistance whatsoever uh, on the spin bike. And we might just have them start rotating pretty fast, right? Like the revolutions are, but they're moving. It's a high intensity session, maybe. We're going to try to match up the revolutions uh, slow enough where their muscles can still allow blood flow in and out, right? Now, we're teaching it coordination, correct? We're, mm -hmm. we're teaching it how to spin fast. Now, when they get better, what do we do? We increase the resistance. So over time, they keep the coordination. We're increasing the resistance, the power output, and no occlusion, right? Now, take that further and further out. Now, they're not occluding at these faster speeds. Uh, we could take it into, like, you can apply this in running. You can apply it in other, other sports, but the spin bike is always the easiest. Uh, and so then think about, like, why did Lance Armstrong, Chris Frome, why do they have high RPMs? Why is that more beneficial? right? You pull more to the respiratory and heart, the blood flow, but you're so efficient that you still don't create occlusions where the other ones that go in the mountains, as they step, that pedal revolution slows, it slogs, and those compressions will start limiting blood flow to the muscles. Then, you, then you're done, right? Um, and so for us, we just want highly coordinated efforts that can endure and be resilient. Uh, within the power spectrums of their sport. Uh, and I would say for us, that's, that's conditioning. So it's not conditioning if you're doing blood flow restriction for you know, 10 by 30 seconds on. And, you know? uh, so that's what we're always looking at. Coordination first, we just happen to have a device that can tell us this. Uh, and that's why we use it so much. Just following on from that, can like, I'm, you answer this, can you ever get to a stage where you don't occlude at all? Because surely like the muscle is always going to have to contract when it's doing work to some degree. Is it just that with the more highly trained people in that capability, they just occlude less? Like, yep. is, is, that, is that, you're just trying to make them occlude less, like less be more efficient? Yeah, uh, if we think about it, um, so the contraction can do three things. So it can contract to so hard that it cuts off the artery. Mm. It can contract moderately hard to cut off the, the venous flow, the, the blood going out. Mm -hmm. And then it can contract like very slightly. Uh, that creates like a compression, right? Just a compression. There's still blood going in and out, but it just limits the volume because the, the tension isn't, as not, or isn't so much that it cuts off anything. What you want to do then in training is make somebody so coordinated that they compress and relax or even at, at the very worst, the venous and relax, because uh, that way you're still getting blood flow in, blood flow out. Uh, if you have an arterial occlusion and then you try to condition, uh, you're just gonna get different adaptations. And I think we see it with certain uh, rep ranges in the, in the strength uh, department. So when people do one by 20, uh, you see some people balloon up in hypertrophy. Well, you're, you're literally doing blood flow restriction training. Those, those rep ranges are too long. Uh, it's going to create an occlusion, and they're going to get all this kind of 
anabolic, uh, a very anabolic stimulus, where the other ones don't. They they don't really gain. I mean, they might gain a little strength, but they're not going to see. You're not going to see the same stimulus. So, uh, I think we see it innately, but I don't think we're looking at it from the standpoint of conditioning yet. Um, and then you have to think of too is that like if we go hypoxic in training a lot, uh, what is that doing from a compensation standpoint? What's it doing from uh, respiratory standpoint and the heart? Uh, you're going to see different adaptations there that are not conducive for making and building up structure to sustain performance. Um, and that's where we nerd out on, right? Um, so for me, it's how can you condition somebody with good coordination? Uh, that's going to allow the respiratory system to not freak out mm. so that way the heart can also adapt. So if you're constantly panting, right? So in other words, you don't fully exhale and you're probably not really fully inhaling. You're just kind of in this middle ground. You're going to have residual pressure that's going to be pushing against the heart. So now the heart has to then again pump against this lung that's, I guess, partially inflated all the time, but not partially uh, deflate. And then that heart has to work harder as a pressure pump, right? And so uh, you're not going to get left ventricle uh, adaptations that, yeah, that you want, right? And, and it's, that's even really hard to do in the first place. Uh, there's, there's mechanisms to do it, but uh, that's really hard underneath that scenario. So that's why when you look at an Omega wave, their HRV is always shit, even though you're like, well, I'm doing this periodization and I'm doing, um, you know, I read this in the book that I need to do it this way and they should be recovered, but Omega Wave's telling me that they're not. Why? Well, we've, we've seen Omega Wave HRV values go through the roof once we start training the respiratory system to handle the load. Right? So once the respiratory system's trained really well, we see HRV, you know, shoot through the roof. Mm. So it's not, uh, it's not the periodization per se. It's just that the structure and the function of the respiratory muscles weren't doing the job uh, to handle the demands. And so for us, it's just looking at the functional relationships between heart and lungs, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, everything. So a few other things that come to mind there, just going back to this concept of, you know, the sort of middle ground of, of, if you like, uh, tonus within the muscle. So we're not cutting off arterial flow. We're not cutting off, being slow to extreme degrees we're kind of in a state where you know where we're efficient enough to get the oxygen in um we're efficient enough to get the carbon dioxide out like just with venous return this is a question like we do want some type of obviously contraction reaction to pump it back towards uh, right atrium to right ventricle like obviously we want that to be as efficient as possible um and then the other thing i was going to ask was with contraction and relaxation, like I've heard this, and, and, and um, Max Schmarzo um, from Stronger by Science said he, he, he actually found this in a book because I was like, I've never seen evidence like for this in the literature. People have said that, you know, athletes who have better functioning mitochondria are better at this, this idea of to be able to contract and relax, you know, to be able to switch everything on and off. Um, have you seen anything on that? Like, uh, have you noticed anything on that in, in these people and these individuals that can switch on and off? If you want to use that as a term, better. Like, are they more? Like, are they like? Have you just noticed a trend with them that they're 
they might be they show better on the Moxie or the show with better sort of parameters on Omega Wave or is there any anything you've read or seen in terms of my content? Uh, yeah, well, can we? Uh, well, it makes sense if we think about what is actually ATP, right? So mm -hmm. uh, I am uh, the heretic who says that ATP is something that relaxes proteins. I'm in, I'm in that camp. might be by myself on that camp. People think I'm crazy. But, uh, and so if you have uh, the mitochondria producing more ATP uh, for a given muscle fiber in the sense of like density in the area of, of, uh, of the surface, then you're going to have the ability to relax uh, proteins much faster. If you don't, um, you're going to then have proteins that are going to be um, probably more in a folded state. So uh, that is literally the, uh, the very nuts and bolts of our model is uh, with that in mind, even when we think of performance and health, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, from a performance standpoint, uh, the limit of ATP you have, granted, um, it's not even really about the ATP. ATP generally stays in the same amount, but the phosphocreatine changes, the potassium sodium gradients start moving around. Yeah. Uh, and so for us, uh, it's just interesting that you said that. Uh, we are trying to obviously create the, 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 you know, the mitochondria, what the, the, uh, yeah, well, like the proliferation of the, of the mitochondria, right? Like obviously in the tissue, that's what we're always trying to do. Um, and if we think of like what's, what's a fatigue cell look like, right? So fatigue cell is generally, they're actually going to take up more water. Same thing mm -hmm. with an injury. What happens? Things swell. swell. What happens with, yeah, what happens with the bad mitochondria? It swells. Uh, and so it takes up water, right? And so we need to do things that get water out, right? And now... Because if we really look at cells, they're, they're highly dense with like protein and there's water in there, but maybe the water is not as extensive as we think. And it's probably in a confirmation uh, that's maybe not like water, right? Maybe it looks a little bit different from a molecular standpoint or organization. Um, and so what keeps it there? Well, ATP is probably what keeps it in that, in that phase. Uh, and it keeps order. So if ATP unfolds proteins, then that means everything else can order really easy if ATP is not there or if phosphocreatine is low because uh, phosphocreatine is an, uh, an anion and so it, it, it can maybe draw in certain things and, and structure certain cells uh, and so if it goes low right then now the environment in the cell changes we uptake more water sodium comes in potassium goes out uh, and it actually makes the cell more alkaline Right? where we think of things as acidic, where initially it does go acidic, but then it goes alkaline once the structure of the cell goes bye-bye. Uh, and so if you have more ATP uh, via mitochondria, now you have the ability to contract and relax mm. very fast, right? Um, and there's actually a study that come out with ATP being a biological hydrotrope, which is the same thing as saying that it you know, unfolds proteins, uh, and for me, when we think of like disease, like uh, neurological diseases, uh, things like that, you start reading these things saying, oh, uh, certain proteins are starting to fold up, right? Uh, amyloid plaque, you know, things like that. And so then you're, you're thinking, okay, they're just low ATP. It's low energy states that can't yeah. sustain the, the normal structure of cells for them to function well. Um, and that's when capacity goes 
Yep, exactly. And so then for, for us, from our standpoint, we look at, okay, how can we um, uh, work out with function? So every rep, the function of the cell is in perfect state for it to elicit a functional response. I'm not going to work out if the cell is not in a functional response because then I don't get the adaptation. So that's the question of um, how do you know if you're giving the right reaction internally? That's it. We're looking at Moxie to see, hey, are they actually taking up O2? Because the secret that people don't talk about because they don't write it in books uh, is that if you're monitoring a muscle that has had any kind of damage or even slight damage, your ion gradients are going to be different. That means the mitochondria is not going to work very efficiently. That might actually be what mitochondrial disease is, is that uh, the ion gradients are different in the cell, right? So think about it this way. Potassium needs to be in the in, inside of the mitochondria. It also mm -hmm. needs to be the environment the mitochondria lives in. Mm -hmm. So if a fatigued cell doesn't have potassium in it, then how can the mitochondria work like they need to? Their environment has changed, right? So when we do exercise, we actually see, uh, with fatigue muscle, we actually see oxygen increase. So in other words, that muscle's not using O2 at all. In fact, it just starts climbing. And then when they're done, we see O2 desaturate. So that's the other muscles seeing the proliferation of O2 in the system and like, well, hey, I'm starved for oxygen. Let's pull it away. So, but at the local site that we're monitoring, we don't see that at all. We don't see um, oxygen being utilized. But nobody, nobody talks about that. Have you, I know myself and myself have exchanged one or two messages on Facebook about Jack Cruz's work. He made me aware of uh, Doug Wallace's work. And I know I actually took two mitochondrial medicine courses with a Russian doctor called Dr. Michael Kuchera. Absolute fucking genius. Like when it came to just biological, understanding biology and physiological systems and whatnot. And he, uh, and he has a fucking cool, broken English Russian accent, you know? <laughs> uh, you know? He'd say things like, the athlete and the cosmonaut and the blah, blah, blah. He'd say, yeah, it sounds like Valley does. Um, except he's older and looks like Santa Claus. But um, with Doug Wallace's work, what I've, and by the way, Dr. Kuchera brought to like our attention or my awareness that like every chronic degenerative disease has mitochondrial dysfunction and its underpinnings. And, you know, then that's driven by like inflammation. And then you read anything on chronic disease, like, inflammation is like one of the driving factors, you know, all those fucking uh, cytochromes, interleukin 6s, tumor necrosis factor alpha, uh, NF-kappa B, you read all those same inflammation factors over and over again. But the point I'm getting to here is that apparently within the uh, inner mitochondrial membrane with the... Um, cytochrome proteins they apparently get pulled further apart so that the hydrogen ions have to tunnel further it's what uh, wallace calls uh, increased heteroplasmic rate and yeah. he's, like, he's like if the proteins get pulled further and further apart the hydrogen ions have to travel further and i think like, there's other electrons that have to go there as well but anyway they, they have to tunnel further which makes the mitochondria way less energy efficient so, uh, and he just basically says that's, that's going to turn into a, a mutated and sick mitochondria at the end. And eventually, and that's what aging is, is that it's the die off of our mitochondria. But uh, he was saying that a huge fucking factor in that 
is obviously information and then like like things that really drive that are like circadian rhythm mismatches brutal nutrition but also emf and apparently uh 5g is a fucking disaster for the frequency that our, that our mitochondria vibrate at so yeah. if that's if like you know if that's fucking up our health you wonder what sort of detriment that'll have to perform to now i i'm more i'm currently more on the camp of that health and fitness are two fucking completely different things like I did, like people confuse. I've had this conversation so many times, even before I met James Fitzgerald. Like most average people, like a general population, people think that sports, elite sports people, are healthy, and I'm like, they're not healthy. They're mm. fit. They're fit to complete a specific task, but they're not healthy. So like heavyweight powerlifter, are they healthy? Fuck no. They walk up the stairs, ready to collapse. Like Eddie Hall, the strongest deadlifter in the world. Like he has to sleep with a fucking mask on and can barely breathe. He's ready to croak and he is. He's, I'd say he's got some chronic uh, concentric hypertrophy in heart going on. Uh, but is he fit to lift the, the heaviest weights off the ground? Yeah. He's the fittest human in the world to do that, but he's not healthy. Like. Yeah. So, uh, and like, I mean, again, James is off the top of Elite Crossroads. He's like, we've taken their bloods. And he's like, if you show their bloods to like someone who's not a Crossroads, like, this person's really sick. Uh, you know? <laughs> but yeah, they're resilient as fuck for their sport. Uh, and again, and once the person is aware of the trade-offs and they've made their peace with that and they, they know the trade-offs, well, then there's no judgment to it. But just going back to mitochondria and Wallace's work, I found that uh, very interesting. And like the more I read, the more I study about electron transport chain and, or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, mitochondria function. It just seems that more pieces of puzzle are getting sort of put together in my own mind. So, um, no, it's just sure. interesting. Interesting one to ask that. Um, just going off that then, I know on Mike's podcast, you spoke about like the puzzle that is CrossFit. And in my master's this year, I'm currently doing a master's, just finished up second year. Concurrent training was one of our main topics in physiology and, you know, the, the conversation of mTOR versus AMPK and then the, the PG, P, PG, PG, was it PGC Alpha? Is that, was that correct? PG1 Alpha. PG1 Alpha. PGC1 Alpha. You know, and the conversations uh, around those factors. Uh, what are your thoughts then on, on things like con- on concurrent training? Because again, it's kind of like these things are written in the books and they're saying like, this this is what happens if this goes on. It's like, yeah, that's not what we're seeing though. We're yeah. seeing like really strong fucking people doing like like really good en- enduring type of activities. At the same time. Like, I don't know if you've seen this guy, Ross Edley. He's this British guy, this English guy. Uh, and he does like these fucking crazy, like, so he did a marathon with towing the truck. You know, so he walked <laughs> He, he, he tried to swim 40 kilometers towing a tree trunk. Um, yeah. Like, he does these manics. But he looks like a bodybuilder, but yeah, his endurance capabilities are phenomenal as well. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts there on concurrent training? Ah. Uh, yeah. yeah he, Aaron's I'm like, not, fuck you, Robbie. Yeah. Why did you ask me this? It's like, I understand, like, you know, like back in the day, we, we needed uh, some maybe delineation between like the two. But to be honest, like, if you're, if you're well do well-structured training. You can do both to some degree. Granted, just um, just before you go on there, have you ever read that landmark study? Robert, uh, what's his name? Robert Hickson, was it? Like he was a powerlifter, and he just started to incorporate endurance from him, to, apparently to impress his professor at the university. And he noticed uh-huh. his, his strength went down. I was like, well, no shit, you're like you never ran in your life. You were a powerlifter, and you added in like <laughs> some like four days of running, and then your strength went down. It's like, yeah, because the because the extra training, you were fatigued as fuck, and then he's just like oh, running and strength. It's like. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, a lot of times you just, I think about it's from dosage, right? Uh, you dose it it well, you can have both. Um, 
that's where I, that's why I think like the the coordination stuff we mentioned before. I think that's probably the biggest limiter when we think of like mixing the two. A lot of times people get really strong with slow weight, like moving slow weights, mm. uh, and that creates maybe more of a bracing strategy uh, or stabilization to move heavier weights. Think of like a power lifter. Um, but that's where the fun part is when we think about like uh, the strength stuff now with from a sprinting background, and that's why I think it's been nice to be exposed to that type of training in the sense of like all right it's now moving weight faster uh or more of the speed type stuff that might be uh maybe more important and it might transfer more even when we think of adding more of the strength and endurance pieces together right uh, and it's and so that's where now in my head it's like it's not because they're fast twitch it's because they occlude uh when they do work and that's why their endurance is shitty improve the uh, the coordination and then have them do it again. And all of a sudden all that cleans up. Sweet. Sorry, I'm just making a note here. Yeah, no worries. Um, another question. There for, yeah. So sorry, central and peripheral. This will be kind of maybe one of our last ones now on more of the uh, energy system stuff. How, like, what, what's your model around that, guys? So uh, would you be of the mindset that, well, first of all, how do you determine if someone has a central versus peripheral issue? Well, you, you kind of touched on peripheral. I mean, Moxie's giving me some windows that. With central, are you just going off the classic if they have a high heart rate type thing? You know, people go, their heart rates, resting heart rate's very high. That gives you sort of an indicator that they need maybe some central type work. Or are you doing any deep investigation into that? And off that then, let's say you did have someone and you determined that they do have a central and maybe and or peripheral issue and um, would you be of the sort of mindset that we need to take care of central first before we start carrying more peripheral and this is also the caveat that can you really isolate one from the other probably not like you know what i mean you're probably always going to get a bit of adaptation you were going to say that in your answer well really you can't really isolate but yeah like you can't say oh, i'm just getting the heart here we're not getting any peripheral whatsoever yeah Sure. Um, yeah, so what are your what are your thoughts on that? And make sure to also remind me. I want to ask you a simply faster after you were writing about like something to do like non-prioritized muscles to drive central adaptations. I think you were saying you mm. were like, yeah, there was something on that. But uh, I, I'll, I'll pull up the article here on my iPad. What do you think about that first question? So central versus peripheral. Like, how can we differentiate between the two? And if we can, like, what would be the model trying on that? Yeah, I mean, it's probably tough. Uh, we probably look at, we probably don't look at things in that light, uh, very much anymore. I mean, we're obviously getting, uh, you know, neural potential, I guess you could say through Omega wave. <clears throat> and that at least tells us the excitability of the potential of maybe the signal to the peripheral system from the, the central side. Um, but if you think about it from this standpoint, the brain to the peripheral, there's a lot of highway that can be, um, you know, maybe roadblocks uh, that could be happening to the peripheral, uh, you know, system. So we just take that into consideration. We think of like coordination and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, from our standpoint of making somebody more resilient within their sport, we think of uh, how can they buffer hydrogen ion CO2, right? That's probably for us is the biggest limiter. Uh, if we look at all sports across the board, it's always going to be a respiratory issue. Um, and, and generally, it's how can they get CO2 out, right? Uh, so for us, we are always looking at how can we train their respiratory muscles to be better. Um, hell, uh, 
sometimes we can't actually interject in people's training when they come to us because we, we a lot of times operate as consultants. And so mm-hmm. we tell them like, hey, you need to take this device, the Spire Tiger. You need to do X, Y, and Z when it comes to training. And then that in itself will actually improve their conditioning without them doing any other conditioning, right? Uh, so just knowing that in itself, uh, we know that's a big piece of the puzzle. And that's kind of more where we, we look at when we think of fatigue uh, within an environment. Uh, it's how can they buffer uh, and use the respiratory muscles to recover and then also uh, produce sustained power outputs. I'm sorry, I'm just pulling this article up here now where you said this. I think you were saying uh, allowing for muscle oxygen saturation and total hemoglobin to go in workouts, we look for specific reactions to this adaptation. For example, if we're going to improve a cardiac limitation, then I'm going to monitor low priority muscle. Yeah. Touch, could you uh, expand on that a bit? Yeah. So when we think of uh, how's the simplest way to do this, uh, say if they're a cycler, right? They're on a cycling bike and we want to improve. Uh, say stroke volume and we want to make sure that the heart is doing what we need to. Uh, I might put the moxie on a rear delt, right? And so I'm just monitoring the rear delt. As we increase speed, if we get to a point where I see the rear delt being either blood flow, specifically blood flow being taken away from the rear delt, then I know the heart cannot keep up with that intensity. In other words, we're shunting blood to the respiratory muscles or to the priority, uh, and we can't come up with the pressure gradient for the heart. To, oh, right? I get you now. I get and, you. And so now, I, in my head, I thought you were training a non-priority muscle to the heart. I see what you're doing. Now. Now. You're using the response from that non-priority to get information about the heart's at. Exactly. And so ah, for us, for us, clever, we should very see, clever. We should see blood flow mm. stay the same in a non-priority because that's when we know the heart is doing a good job with the pressure gradients and blah, 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 blah. We know it's getting into trouble if it takes away. Then we're like, oh, we pushed it too far. We're not creating the response that we want. Um, and so we're just monitor things like that. That's really good, pretty good. I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but the answer you gave for the last question, I, I didn't take it in because I was looking for the question for that. So when I, uh, I, no. when it's okay, no, I'll, go, I'll go back and I'll listen to it. I won't have questions. Yeah, no worries. Uh, just so we're not repeating for the listeners. But oh, sorry, this is what I love about these podcasts. I go back and listen to them multiple times. But uh, no, because you're you're going down roads. This is great because I'm learning a ton here, and it's making me because like it's been a while now since I've had a conversation or anything like this where like I'm a little bit lost, but it's still sort of making all the sense, which I like because this means yeah. I'm, I'm learning. You know. Uh, no, listen, that that's all great so far uh, in terms of kind of everything I wanted to cover. Like there's still just one or two more general questions, like kind of like quick fire around ones. Like, yeah. Um, I just want to make sure you know I had a, yeah, asked about assessments, train philosophy, asked about systems. We talked about omega, we talked about moxie, muscle saturation, total hemoglobin. These are the notes I made. Oh, actually, there was, sorry, there was one more question. In that article, you said that one of the kind of first lines of actions you'll go with, with people in terms of changing something they think will have a big impact on their overall um, performance and just the, the adaptations you're going to seek is sleep. And uh, I have it written down here. You were saying um, sleep allows time for biological energy. So I really like that. I, I like how you worded it. So maybe just speak about why you think sleep is like so. Well, we know why it's so important, but like, <laughs> why is it like one of the one of the like the first areas you're going to in in terms uh, of improving athletic 
performance or human performance? Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's something that I'm still working on a little bit in my head. I know, uh, you know, certain theories and that's where like maybe some of the, have you read that? Uh, yeah, I think I've had some of it. Yeah. I have that as an audio book for sure. He was on, uh, Rog- he was on Rogan. So he was, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, but I think, uh, from our perspective in the sense of, uh, in the, in the health world and then also in the performance world, when we talk about free energy, so free energy, um, that's explain, what I, explain that a little bit. We did, we covered that a little bit in uh, physiology. Energy is like a fucking fucked up uh, topic in terms of like you think about it. Like it's like if you read in like a physiology textbook where, where you know when you talk about analyzing and and, and uh, catabolism, so anabolic versus catabolic, and it's like we know anabolic is like when, when we're storing up energy, but yeah, it's like you have to spend energy to store that energy, and just like what the fuck's going on? <laughs> it's like you have to, you know, you gotta break some shit down so you can build some stuff up so you can store that stuff, and it's like. So you tell me that there's like a catabolic reaction to help an anabolic reaction. It's like, well, it's kind of like that. And then there's like this, yeah. free, this whole free energy thing. It's like <laughs> fucking lost now. All I, all I, yeah. thought, I thought it was energy and energy out. And now you tell me all this stuff. But I mean, yeah. can you explain it's, that a little bit? Yeah, it's confusing as all get out. Like I, I'll be honest, like um, You're so I think smart a lot, too. Yeah, I think a lot of it stimulate or at least comes from the idea of uh, is it Newton's laws, thermodynamics, right? And, uh, a lot of it's from like the industrial age when we started studying like motors, right? We know that when an engine gave off heat over time, it broke down. Mm. Uh, uh, and I think we've tried to take that, those ideas and explain a lot of things in chemistry and then also obviously physiology. Uh, people get really uncomfortable too because, uh, you know, if you, if you look at some academics and you, you ask them about free energy and where it, where it sits, uh, they'll kind of squirm a little bit because, uh, you know, people, especially in like the, the health field uh, that are quacks or even in the, 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 I hate to say functional medicine, but functional medicine's kind of turned out to be this way a little bit, unfortunately, um, is that like they are talking about free energy all the time, like all this, you know, uh, you know, that it's almost like spiritual and they've used quantum physics to somehow, you know, uh, figure out that there's just this unlimited supply of energy that you can tap into and it's going to be okay. Um, like, the secret, we, like, like the secret. I just, yeah. want, I just want a million dollars. For sure. And, uh, and it's kind of ruined it for people that are actually trying to like solve the, those questions of how it operates. Right. So uh, a good researcher, uh, Jeremy England uh, has a good quote that pretty much talks about if you uh, mix proteins, water, sunlight, and, it's my estimation, probably volcanic energy, heat, CO2. If you mix all that together, chances are you're going to have something, and maybe even lipids and some other things too, you're, you're going to have something that's going to resemble uh, chemical reactions and maybe a cell that, 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 that happens, right? And so if, if we think about that, that is just the, the free energy of an environment creating uh, organization, creating structure, right? And I don't know how... Uh, do you, if you want to go in evolution, but if you think about it, everything probably started via free energy extracted from an environment, right? I don't, so I, don't, I don't believe in evolution. I'm a fundamental Christian. The world is only 5,000 years old. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, d- d- dinosaurs were, were put here to uh, test our faith. Yeah, well, they, they're doing a good job. Uh, just, uh, just in case people do not know, I am being completely sarcastic there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I think from that, from, if we look at it from that standpoint, right, like it, 
it gets uneasy when we think of, okay, well now how is our metabolism now chained to this mm -hmm. idea of free energy? And I think that's where our, uh, the departure and like where our answers need to, to come because the, if we think about it, if free energy just went wild, then it would use all the substrate, right? We would, we would just, we would like, we would have to keep on taking away from our environment to build structure, say proteins or whatever else. If we just let free energy run wild. Yeah. Uh, and so we had to harness free energy, right? And so uh, I think from that standpoint, we have to think about it as like, uh, now tying it back into sleep. So why does temperature regulation, why do we get, why does it decrease at night? Um, I think we allow proteins obviously to unfold. We allow structuring. We allow this kind of free energy structuring in our sleep. And then during the day we can now perform, we can do function, right? Sleep, we restructure during the day. We induce function of those, uh, the, of the structure. So, uh, just simply said, that's how I look at sleep and that uh, from both the neuro neurological perspective and just even proteins and things like that, um, we need to induce really good sleep. Uh, and that's kind of macro level. That's kind of how I look at it. Mm. Um, and it's probably one of the first things we look at in the sense of like dialogue with the athlete and, and how we can you know, go about it and inducing a really good sleep. What is the initial reaction of like uh, an initial individual? And do you train general pop too? And if you do, do you do, you do all the same assessment with them? Do you run the mega wave and moxie on these? Individuals? Yeah. Uh, yeah so, so. so and then sorry. So I know you're about to answer that. What is the initial reaction from people? Because like one thing that like because in the previous past, like I tried to do all this with like HRV and function medicine and you know let's see your bloods as well. Because I think in the simply fast track, I think you were saying that you like to look at bloods, but like, do, are people a bit, like, overwhelmed by this? Or are they like, oh, this is, this is, I just wanted to come here and, like, you know, do a class. You know, <laughs> I know you're fucking, you know, you're, you're asking me about, like, bloods and, like, do I, I don't know how deep you get, but I like, you're asking me about, like, what, what does my shit look like, my bowel movements, and, like, was my father good to me when I was a kid? And, you know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> you know, you're doing all that, you're hooking me up to these mad units, and they're telling me that, like, uh, you know, you're saying that my nervous system is, what's a nervous system? <laughs> you know? yeah, so yeah. How, how, how do some people react to this, you know? Uh, luckily that, uh, like we don't, if you come to Austin, a lot of times people won't even know we exist here in Austin, even on the general pop side. Um, some things that, uh, I have, uh, been able to do in the past have been, especially in the local area here in Austin is to help people's health. Uh, and I, you can't really advertise that a lot. Probably shouldn't even say that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I do that and it's more traveled word of mouth now. And so, so we don't need pe people come and are kind of know what to expect. Yeah. And so now when people come into us, like, uh, they know what they're getting into. Chances are we're like the last ditch effort for some people, uh, in regards to both performance and their health. Uh, and, uh, they come to us for these, uh, I guess answers, I guess you could say, I mean, I don't know if you call them answers, but at least a, an observation of an environment that they might be living in that might be giving them the health issues or performance issues. Yeah. And then we go in and try to try to fix it. So, uh, we haven't had anybody, it's been a long time since somebody's been freaked out when they come in here. Uh, most people are just like, oh, yeah, well, I, I come here for this. So, you know, they're ready. Any, any blowback from like athletes in terms of, you know, the way Megawave can like 
you know, oh yeah, I slept last night, and I realized like, no, you didn't. This is bollocks. You're lying to me. You make a way to tell me the truth here. Yeah, yeah. It, it it takes a little bit, especially when you look at like some of the like the, the high schoolers. Like we have some really good uh, high school athletes that come in here now, and uh, you know, it's summer. Delighted, delighted, thank you. Yeah, it's and they hate it, and we can see it, right? Uh, and so we have we have conversations, you know, about it. And uh, maybe at first it's uneasy because they they want to they want to put up the front that they're like, oh no, I'm I'm straight and narrow, like this is great, like you know, I'm I'm, I'm healthy, I'm going to bed, and I'm all like, there is no way in the world you're going to bed on time, and your detox is in the shit. So uh, either we need to do a nutritional. Uh, recall and see what you're eating. What do you say that your detox is in the shit? You could do it actually having a shit to detox. <laughs> For sure. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always interesting conversations, but it, uh, it allows our coach and athlete relationship to, you know, to be closer and we can have these conversations and like, we're not, you know, Nazi in the sense of that, like, I know you're never going to have an alcoholic beverage. Um, so how about we just learn to, mm -hmm. to plan around certain things uh, and actually live life a little bit, yeah. uh, but also train hard, you know, get better. So It's just letting them, yeah, that, that's a key point too, is that we're not asking you to live like a monk. It's just that we need to, know, we need to empower you that there's strategies here as well. You know? So that if you are going to sure. you know, go off and it's going to be alcohol and a party for a week, you know, like what to do then when you get home and turn to sleep and nutrition and get yeah. I have last few fire round questions, but before I do that, just because I'm an absolute weirdo, and this is just doing my head in since I had the brain fart. Train, adapt, evolve. I had to fucking say that. I can't, I was, <laughs> in the back of my head, because sometimes when I have brain farts, I'm like, I'm like, am I getting like early Alzheimer's or dementia? I was like, I really want. I really, so, anytime like I ever like have a brain fart, I'm like, I feel like I need to go get my brain scanned. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. Maybe maybe my blood sugar is a little bit low. I don't know. But uh, last few questions here. Your biggest lessons you've learned so far uh, in your life, and just uh, you don't have to say. But how old are you? Aaron? I'm 31. So uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm 36. All right. So you're again, you're you know, you're young. Um. So what would you say have been the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your 36 years on planet Earth? Mm. Can be one, or can be as many as you want. Oh man. Uh, I, I, well, it's just relationships. I mean, to be honest, like uh, it's, it all kind of boils down to that. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I'm married, have a daughter. Uh, my best friend is my, my business partner, right? Uh, Commi commiserations. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it's just the, my biggest thing so far has just been like, uh, man, you really have to build up the, the relationships. And that even goes to coach athlete, right? Like you can have all this fancy technology and it doesn't mean shit. I mean, if you can't actually have a, a, a real human conversation with the person that you're caring for, all of it doesn't matter. Uh, and even in my personal life with my wife in the sense of, uh, I mean, I spend a no crazy amount of time studying uh, and just her coming in my life saying, hey, pull yourself out, like of, uh, both the computer or the books or uh, writing or stuff like that. like. Uh, and realizing that, like, though my passions are my passions, that uh, the most important thing is relationships, period, right? Like, we wouldn't all want to be just on an island with books. Uh, you can never do the practical side. You can never share. You can never have meaningful relationships. So, uh, you know, the biggest thing I've learned is that, like, keep, keep the, the most important relationships in your life uh, healthy. Uh, always work on them. They, you always have to keep working uh, on that stuff. And even with, like, 
your your athletic relationships with like your athletes like just because they're paying you money does not mean that transaction is set in stone it's uh it's always relationships and so that's um that's been like i think the biggest thing for sure any tips to help people improve relationship building and communication fucking just be honest like it's the you you can't say that now like if we were all dead honest you know what i mean so you're gonna go around and go yeah you actually are a fat mess <laughs> yeah well for sure but like this is the biggest thing is that like uh even with like from my business standpoint and my relationship standpoint even with athletes is that like you know the stuff that sometimes we keep back um uh, that we're like ah i should say this right now but it might hurt their feelings uh, but you know it could be a catalyst for growth yeah. uh, or even it's, a it's, it's how you word it yeah, no, it's, it's yeah how exactly you, yeah, it's the art of how you bring that across and i exactly. get you yeah you, you're, you're doing someone a disservice if you if you don't give them that feedback like yeah yeah i've gotten that loads of times too you know so uh no that's but is there anything in particular like that's helped you in terms of relationships and communication is there a resource where like i know like loads of people like you know crucial conversations motivational interview and like people always mention those things uh, like, uh, what's the, what's the other one um oh what's the name of that company landmark a lot of people don't work through landmark oh yeah uh, uh, i I have a lot of colleagues that have done a lot of that stuff. I think for me, it's, uh, it's, uh, intentional time spent, right? Like intentional time spent with your athlete or relationships. Um, that's probably for me, the, I don't get fancy in that regard. It's just intentional time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's, that's your answer, man. So like, I know for me personally, it probably was like, you know, reading, reading like some deep, deep, literature or materials like you know stuff from the Dalai Lama stuff from you know I've, yeah. often, I've often mentioned this guy on lots of my podcasts and don't whether it be my own or OPEX but a, a gentleman called Joseph Shilton Pierce who wrote a ton of books like on just basic like human behavior development spirituality personal growth so he has a class book called biology of transcendence and it's basically oh, yeah. he basically takes the biology aspect to like how we as a species are spiritually transcending. So he's like, you know, if you look at the brain, it went from the reptilian to the mammarian to the, cort- uh, to the cortex to frontal lobe. He's like, and then he believes like it's, so that's what he called biology. He's like, then to go from frontal lobe into almost basically like a spiritual esoteric realm. And just read yeah. some scripts on that. Like the biggest things I, I've learned, I suppose, I know I asked you the question and, and you're the guest and I do a lot of talk with my, my podcast. People want to listen, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> uh, no, no, don't go. I, I, my listeners know I love them. Um, so don't go fuck yourselves. Plus, it's impossible. No, no one can do that. If you can't, <laughs> if you can't send me a video because I want to see that, that would be mighty impressive. Um, yeah. I digress. But uh, like the one big thing I've learned is that everything, everyone, and everything is the way they are for a reason. So, like a big thing that shapes my currently, and I'm very, I'm always careful with my wording currently because we're dynamic species and and we're always learning so you know what's what's a a thought process that you believe in today mightn't be there tomorrow but currently how i see and perceive reality is through a a lens of epigenetics like i'm very i would be very shaped by the concept of epigenetics that you know environment dictates and and organism discretion now with humans because we are like the highest organisms that we currently know of in our world we do have one caveat to that in that we can choose how we perceive our environment. So that's very important. 
you know, we're not just like, you know, a single cell organism with no conscious. Well, you know, some people say it has conscious, but you get what I mean. Like, you know, yeah, you sure. know if, if you just say environment dictates organism expression and leave it that, you're like, well, we humans are still more twisted than that. Humans can actually choose to perceive their environment. Like still the environment is, is having an impact on the organism, but the organism can perceive its environment. So kind of go back to Victor Frankl and man's true search for meaning, you know, between, you know, stimulus and response is man's freedom to choose his response. That's a beautiful sure. book, by the way. What a beautiful yeah. man. Um, no, that's great, though. I appreciate, again, I really appreciate your honesty with that question. Um, so just moving on from lessons. Hey, by the way, if you have to go, if you get up take a piss, you're like, I got to go. My wife's calling me now. You just, no, 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 it's all good. Uh, the next question I have for you, so that was lessons. Your top resources, Aaron, and these can be like anything. They don't have to be just limited to like, human performance. Now, even though I know you'll give some, some top resources, but, and the resources can be anything. They can be book podcast, online course, an actual person, uh, like any sort of intensive courses you've done. Like I know you mentioned PRI there. I know that uh, um, Pat Eskis has done, you know, Gary Grace. So, but what would be some of your top resources? Like, I know, like, so could be just one thing you might say, this book, read that, it covers it all. Or you might be like, some, pe some people like to go, here's a training one, here's a nutrition one, here's a spiritual one, here's a personal one, whatever. So you can take this whatever way you want. Ah. Uh. Man, that's a good question, and like people always ask me this. Um, I uh, from uh, from a periodization because I think that's where like most uh, you know coaches go to. I think uh, Derek Evely with his stuff with Bonder Chuck. If we think know, about like I know Derek well, and I have a whopper two-hour episode coming out with him with his new course. Yeah, and if we think about just, I think he's smart. And if you look at like uh, from a, a standpoint of like us coaches, we like to be smart or think we're smart and like we like to change shit up all the time right like uh three weeks here two weeks here you know microcycles this microcycles that but if we took a human and we transported him to a different country every two weeks or three weeks and then after that then try to make them perform they're going to perform like shit right and so if we think about what derek or like dr bondachuk has done the sense of overlaying an environment that doesn't change but for an athlete to to, or to thrive in over time. I mean, it's, it's, it's overlaying the same environment and then they thrive over time. Mm. Then I, I think that is kind of what we want. We want to keep the environment the same and then let them improve in it. Uh, I think from a cellular side, uh, a lot of the stuff that I study is from the cell, like one cell, and then expand on it. Because I think going into like DNA transcriptions and all this other stuff and then the chemistry and all this other crap that comes into your, you know, if you actually just look at like how one cell survives, it could probably give you good hints on energetics, nutrition, uh, environmental stimulus, like yeah. these, yeah. these different things uh, that like we as coaches or colleagues or scientists or people that argue all the time in my head, it's like, it's actually a lot simpler. Just study one little thing and it'll explain for generally how everything else is working. Um, any, any so, good any good resources? Like, so you thought more like a molecular biology type resource, or? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I just uh, to be honest, uh, like SciHub, right? Like, uh, I mean, I'm on uh, SciHub like all day, every day. Um, Ch changes its fucking uh, its yeah. uh, research bar every fucking five minutes. Yeah, but it's okay. Like, uh, thank God for the dark web and other things that you can find out which one it is. Uh, and so yeah, uh, exactly, exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on that all the time, just looking at uh, 
just you know simple questions and then just trying to find answers and then you're gonna regret telling me that because like Aaron I need his paper yeah I know uh, but it's okay it's okay I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it your way um, but I think that's where I'm at now I'm looking at a lot of like uh, metabolism just like simple like uh, how was navigating metabolism was that book good yeah I, I like it um, it gives me the, the last couple chapters on the signaling uh, is probably great uh, but uh, just looking at things through maybe an organic chemistry uh, lens and the sense of resonant structures and stuff like that, I think is, is uh, important when we think of like how ATP functions, how CO2 functions in the cell, uh, and, and the fact that we want water mostly out. Uh, and so I think that gives us some answers in the sense of even nutrition and what CO2 production for nutrition. Uh, Chris Masterjohn talks about that stuff as well. Mm. Uh, you know, it's another, stuff like that. genius. Yeah, it's, it's like if you look at it from that perspective, then it kind of makes sense that we need to do certain things through nutrition and through training and environmental uh, to – just simplifies everything. So I, I, it kind of sucks that I can't give you necessarily like um, good resources, but I would say uh, just diving into the fact of like uh, just looking at mechanisms and like maybe some more of the hard shit. I mean, I'm not very smart at all. Like people – Shut the fuck up, boy. No, 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 I'm serious. Like, like I can't. Uh, Wait, I can't that humble shit in this podcast. No, no, no. This is what's <laughs> this is what's funny. It's like uh, this is what's funny. And uh, like Ben House, like he's 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 worked with me. He knows that like I I don't learn like other people. I couldn't go to a university and learn. And so uh, for me, I have to reread complicated shit over and over and over and over and over and over again. Same boat, uh, I'm in the same club. Yeah, and so. Uh, so like I do that a lot and uh, I just teach myself uh, and, and that's put, the, that's put the, the, the idea together. That's, put, that's made me like look at things inside and out um, and though it's a weakness, it's a strength now because I'm like, oh cool, well this is what, you know, like CO2 actually brings water out of the cell, right? It's a Lewis acid. So, uh, you know, if somebody asks me like, why do you need carbohydrates? Well, uh, I need the sugar to be oxidized so it can bring out CO2, brings water out it now reforms the cell. If there's more water in the cell, uh, then it's overexcited, it's not in the right ion gradients, or gradients, and then now all of a sudden energy can't be produced, right? And then now we have inflammation type, you know, low energy states is inflammation, blah, 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 blah. Have you looked into any of that work from Jared Pollock, the four phase of water? Have you looked into any of that? Yeah, I've, I've read his book uh, four or five years ago. Water. I need to, uh, I just, I've only heard snippets and heard his TED talk and whatever Jack Cruz spoke about, but I need to I need to look a little more into that because there's a, there's a woman called uh, Leanne Vinay. She did a, a three part uh, interview with um, Kevin Cottrell on Hellcast, and she's an expert in light, like light spectrums, and like yeah. she's kind of tying in like you know this whole red light, and when it hits the water, you get like you get that like easy type water and stuff like that. So it was interesting. So, I mean, one thing I actually forgot to ask you, and this is actually driving me bonkers as well because. It, it, it was it's something Cal Dietz said, and I really actually wanted to ask you this. So, you know, we're talking about aerobic adaptations, and and like some people say, like you know, you, you can you can get the same aerobic adaptations doing a resistance based circuit as you could if you just went out and run them. Is that true? <laughs> I guess you could say, like, in what regard? Because, I mean, like, because what people say is, oh, sure, once the heart rate is the same, it's all the same, it's all the same. And then, like, just going back to this idea of like constricting constricting vessels and like 
like cyclic versus acyclic activities, there's ground contacts involved where the foot's on the ground, whereas, you know, if you're doing an exercise in the gym where like you're just gonna split spot your foot's not like deep in the ground, like that's different. Because uh, like I used to think that, oh, like yeah, we just do a rope, you can do rope in many ways. And like it's still, it, they're still both aerobic, but it's like some people say, oh, you're getting the exact same adaptations there. And it's like, I don't know if you are, right? No, no, not a, not in a, no. Like, and, and that's the funny thing too. I invite anybody to come over, give me your, your circuit. We'll put monitors on and we'll just see, right? Like, uh, maybe. They, they, so yeah, just, 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 just so you go on there, like, again, this is kind of like, I'm like, you're like, oh, the book says it. So, uh, like, would the heart be getting the same? Because a lot of people often say, like, oh, it doesn't matter what you do, like, if it's heart adaptation, going after, because the heart has to work no matter what you do. Uh, peripheral might be different, all right, because, like, you have to stimulate, obviously, the peripheral tissues. Like, you know, yeah. if you're doing, like, tempo work for the lower body, right, you might be getting some. Uh, ABO2 adaptations, you know, peripherally there, get better extract the oxygen sure. from them, from them. Okay, yeah, that's that's a different, it's aerobic and it's different aerobic adaptation cause the activity you're doing. But let's say, if we're just going purely after like some heart adaptation, you know, let's yeah. just say you are getting that. Does it make a difference in the activity you're doing if the heart rate is, in the, same, is the exact same but the activity is different? Yeah, because I think uh, if we look at it from that perspective, we have to think of the heart doing two different things. One, it's frequency. One, it's stroke volume, right? And so, uh, if you're occluding, then that means you're not going to have enough preload for a good stroke. Uh, mm -hmm. In other words, the, the volume. So you are then going to have the heart uh, try to squeeze harder, right, uh, to uh, affect the volume changes. And so if you're occluding, right, even though you have a good heart, uh, heart rate, you're, you don't know stroke volume at all. And then if we think about uh, there's something uh, called the staircase effect, both in the heart and then also in living matter and actually uh, in organic matter, that if you stimulate, uh, say, even iron or tin, uh, that the, it actually gets harder, right, uh, as you stimulate it and, it and it has a bigger stimulus. Well, the heart does the same thing. As the heartbeat increases, the stroke volume wants to also increase, right, because mm -hmm. it wants mm -hmm. to meet the demand. So if you're doing an aerobic adaptation and you don't have the staircase effect, in other words, if I'm uh, looking at things via moxie and I see uh, the heart rate go up, but then the blood flow go down, then I'm not creating the staircase effect and I'm not increasing stroke volume be the preload. That means I'm not getting the heart rate. I'm not getting, in fact, I'm probably uh, making the heart work too hard for the given, uh, for the given uh, stimulus. And then uh, I'm not getting the peripheral adaptations because they're occluding all the time. Uh, and it's so far away from the coordinative effort of their actual sport. So there you go with that. And then the respiratory system then is coming on top to try to figure it out. Uh, and chances are you're uncoordinated in respiratory frequency. In other words, would the heart rate not be different though? Would you not be getting that feedback saying, well, this heart rate is now higher. So I know I'm not getting the heart adaptation. So, like, so basically yeah. if you're doing, if you're doing two different activities, like let's say you do tempo run versus like a, a light body weight resistance based type circuit. Yeah. But the heart rate is just both at 140. Yeah. Are you getting the same adaptation there to the heart? No, not at all. Okay. That, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean like you, you have to look at like uh, the, like I said, the, the occlusions, non-occlusions, like, uh, cause if the preload in the heart is not increasing stroke volume, then, because yeah, I, I would have been of the opinion before, yes. Then I heard some of your stuff and I was like, ooh, no. And then I heard Cal Vita Barbell Show going, yo, we, we do these uh, cir resistance circuits. And he's like, you're getting the same annotations. I'm like, oh, I don't think that's true to you, actually. I was like, yeah. I need to ask Aaron Davis about this. So but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's why I wanted to ask. Okay, I have four more quick ones for you, and then we're done. Yeah, 
your your top and your your sorry yeah your current and top book recommendations. So what are you currently reading, and what's your top book that you would give away as a gift? Current book I'm reading. Um, man, or that's book, tough. Or or books, or, you know, or what's yeah. the last, or what's the last one you read, or last? Uh, I think the last good one that like I, I read that uh, it's uh, Sam Harris's Waking Up was the 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 one that I've. You like Sam Harris? What's that? You like Sam Harris? Uh, well, I just, to be honest, I didn't like, I don't like his podcast a lot, but I love the book. Um, uh, yeah. and, uh, I mean, you I you got haven't, on, you haven't read Peterson's book yet. Uh, and the only reason I say that is everyone is fucking like, Oh, I'm reading George. It's like, is everyone reading that fucking book? It's like, I refuse to read it because everyone's reading it. I'm like, I'm not reading it. Yeah. I read, uh, I was, uh, I was put on to Jordan Peterson about, uh, maybe two years ago through YouTube. And so I was like really on that train. And then I kind of heard some Sam Harris stuff. My best, one of my best friends is, uh, big into Sam Harris. And so we have arguments and stuff, but, uh, uh, but reading Sam's book has uh, been personally good for me, just in the sense of like the practice of meditation. And I say practice as in that's probably the most well said when it comes to meditation is that it is just a practice and you suck mm -hmm. at it. Like most mm -hmm. of the time you have to practice it continually. It can take uh, many forms though. That's what people understand. Meditate. Like I think most people think of meditation, you're in the lotus position and you're trying to just empty your mind. It's like, Meditation can take many forms, man. Walking is my meditation. That's where for sure. It yeah, but I think that book was good for me. And then just, uh, um, well, that Victor Frankel book was obviously like I, I that book was uh, so unbelievable. Yeah, like Jordan Jordan Peterson obviously like mentioned that, and I was like, well, I'm just gonna check it out. And then I did, and that was that was something that if I had to give to somebody, I would definitely give that book to everybody I met. Right, so. I've only I need to go back. That's a book I need to read. I read it in like December 2013. Uh, Man's True Search or Man's Search for Meaning, and uh, like I don't know about you, but you know you're reading that and you're just like, my life is like so easy. Oh yeah, yeah. It puts it it puts it in perspective. And then when you're also a parent and you realize that you're affording your kids a life that maybe not even I mean grow up rich at all. Um, and so my parents worked their butts off, and I I carried a chip on my shoulder. I still do a little bit. And in my head, it's like my daughter. I'm like, man, this chick's never going to have a chip on her shoulder at all. It's like, I got to start telling her like, hey, you're ugly or, you know, like you're, you're worthless or something just to, just to, just to, just to develop. You're just to develop. ugly. Yeah. I'm just like, you gotta, so I got to develop. That reminds, develop something. <laughs> that reminds me of that joke from Louis C.K. And he's like, uh, he's like talking about his daughter for babies. And he's like, they're just so fucking bored. They do nothing. It's like, hey, baby. You're boring, <laughs> and then like, and then like Louis C.K. was like, you know, people were like, why are you so cruel to your daughters? It's terrible. And he's like, what? They're babies. They won't understand. Like, it's not going to have any impact on their lives. And he goes, well, they might grow up with a general sadness, and they won't know why. But they don't know. <laughs> he's like, hey, baby, you're an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's it's stuff like that where it's like just giving perspective, and uh, I think it's it's always huge. You actually bring up a really good question there. Uh, so you know, I'm sure you're well aware who Neil deGrasse Tyson is. Um, yeah. He was on London Real, and he just brought up a really good point. Just going back to like that about, about parenting and, and kind of going back to like, you know, from Victor Frankl's book, like this concept of adversity. And Tony Robbins speaks about this too. You know, like, you know so like, again, the perception will be, oh, if you see the kid with a rough background, he got fed up by his parents, drugs, abuse, and you see someone who had a real loving family. And like everyone say, oh, the one who came from the broken background had a more detrimental childhood. Tony Robbins is like, no. He's like, they both had detrimental, like, uh, childhoods. 
So like the one who grew up in like, you know, the land of luxury, like they never had any adversity to overcome. And it's like nothing will ever be good enough in their lives for them. And he's like, and he's, and that's why like he gets people who are billionaires, millionaires and they're depressed. It's just like, because they're so unimpressed by anything because they've had everything they want in their life that they actually just can't find fulfillment in the simplest things like a beautiful sunrise or whatever. Like that's just an example. Yeah. So Tony Robbins like, you know, flips and says, both of them are fucked up. He says, but both of them still have both opportunities to grow up to choose again, go back to perceptions. But Neil deGrasse Tyson brought up a real good thing uh, he was asked, like, would you go back and, you know, Brian Rawls always asked that question, would you ever go back and to, like, the 20-year-old Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and change anything or say anything? And he's like, no, absolutely not. He says, because every experience I, I, I've had, I was meant to have, and it's, it's made me the person I am, you know, in this very moment of time. And they weren't his exact words. That's how I phrase them. I talk about myself. I'm the same. Like, never write change anything. Like, you, you know, it, no regrets. Like, I mean, every experience you have, you were meant to have. And, you know, it's, it's led to be the person you're in the current moment of time. Of, of where you, of where you are but yeah. uh he brought up a real good question or a real good point about parents and he's like you know this the classic sort of like double-edged sword where you got the foreigner who came from like you know broken down eastern european country went to america the american dream and like had kids i never want my kids to suffer like i did and they end up giving their kids everything and then the kids grow up to be absolute wankers you know yeah. fucking bastards and the dad's like well i don't understand why why they didn't grow up with the same work ethic as me it's like because you gave them everything on a plate. They didn't have to do anything. So I was like, the stuff where, like, you know, you want the best for your kid, but the best would actually have been to give them a little bit of adversity. You know, was, you, know yeah. you found your daughter, she's ugly. I'm only joking, yeah. but, you know, we get the point. We get the point. For sure, yeah. And it's one of those things that you think about a lot now because you're like, I want a functioning adult daughter that can deal with the rigors of life. And yeah. her being soft, I don't think that's setting her up for success. No, later. it's not. It's not. And it goes back to like, oh, every Buddy Morris, he runs this really good. He goes, he goes, I fucking see musical chairs nowadays. And there's chairs for everyone. That's like <laughs> the fucking game. There was meant to be one less. There was meant to be yeah. a in each round. And you were meant to like, live with that shit and learn from it. It's like, he's right. He's yeah. right. Yeah, that's sure. true. There's a balance there. We get it. But, you know, you can't. It's like, uh, how would you know what winning was if you didn't know what losing was? You know, you have to have, you have to have exactly. a contrast. Of life. But anyway, moving on, uh, your top life advice to everyone listening, what would, what would I, if they could take one thing away from it, what would you say? I know you kind of went into your lessons and relationships. Is there anything else you'd say? Ah, man. Um, <laughs> Evolve. It's on your t-shirt. Ah, yeah. No, I mean, um, uh, I don't know. I have a weird perspective, right? So like, I, th I think the meaning of life is to actually figure like out some of the, like some of the, the curiosities of life, right? So other than uh, relationships or, uh, you know, some people might really study politics or religion or all these other things. Uh, for me, it's like a life worth living for me is to find out some of the mysteries of what we experience every day. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the, so for me, I'm always asking questions like, how does our atmosphere deal with uh, like performance metrics, right? Like, little things like that. Uh, even like when we talk about like CO2 or just different things like that in the sense of like, well, there's mechanisms for life and there's also mechanisms for performance. Mm. I want to try to bridge the gap uh, and just trying to find out, uh, you know, why I'm here on earth, how much ever time I have is to figure out more about what we experience every day. And that, that's my, that's like my big, you know, that's, that's what it is. So. There's, just, there's just too much to know. I don't, whenever I ask someone, like, you know, you, you read anything lately? Or, or, you know, I'm like, no, no, I don't really read books. I'm like, yeah. Or, or like, if someone says I'm bored, I'm like, 
how, there's just so much to know. How are you not <laughs> reading a book? How are you bored? You know, and they're just like, yeah. what's the black stuff in between the stars? And like, I don't know, go find that out for me. Yeah, exactly. No, and it's, uh, and for me, it's, uh, and this is what's funny is that the last probably two or three years, I haven't really read conventional books because uh, I figured that I don't want my, because if you notice it, it, in our, in our in our space how people read like uh i know where you're going with this you feel like you, you feel like your creative brain goes a bit off if you read yeah much, like taleb's like anti-fragile you hear people jump on that or like uh behave i think was the last one that came out right and like you see all these people start sounding like the book and in my head it's like if there's one thing that i'm going to do is i'm gonna have my original thoughts be my thoughts so mm. i'm going to read the science i'm going to take in my own personal experiences, and then I'm going to give my own original take on uh, what I think is going on and not try to be influenced by the other noise. Because then, like, I said this in Mike Robertson's podcast, like, if you're reading the same books everybody else is reading, then you're going to sound like everybody else, and you're not bringing anything to the table that's new. So for me, it's... Uh, yeah, but you, but, but you can have a different perception of the same books of people, though. Yeah, you can. And that's fine. But for me on the science side of things and, and where I'm going personally uh, in my studies, I, I feel like I can't be influenced quite yet by, I can't allow anything. I haven't figured out my own voice uh, yet to allow anything else in. I want, it to, I want to form that first and then from there I can expand. And that doesn't mean like very hard, very hard to, to know you are being truly original. Like it is almost impossible not to be influenced to some degree by some external factor. Now, oh, I, do, sure. I, I do believe that, well, again, currently uh, a thought process that I have is that one of the reasons for life is to get to that, is to get as close as you can to self-actualization. You know, to strip away yeah. all, every single bullshit piece of conditioning that has ever been imposed on you and get down to the fundamental roots of who the fuck am I? Why am I here? Like, get past your name, get past your body, know why you were brought into this universe. What was it really sure. for? And again, like, I suppose trying to get closer to those answers, we do through means that we really feel a lot of fulfillment through. So for me and you, like, it's like geeking out shit like this. But like, you know, for like a musician, it's music. For a poet, yeah. for a chef, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's cooking. Um, or being a master of uh, I was, uh, the reason why I stalled and I was like is cooking like is that a bit too much of like a, it's like when you call table tennis ping pong they fucking hate that so it's not it's table tennis yeah. you know it's, a, it's all it's all creativity and mastery to, to but no listen that's fucking that's a savage answer you know deep shit Aaron Davis is the stuff I like to talk about yeah uh, uh, last two you've got one year left on earth how are you spending yeah. that year Not telling my daughter she's ugly. <laughs> no, 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 no. But to be honest, it's probably doing what I'm doing now, to be honest. Like, that's the, that's the, that's the one thing that... Um, the answer, uh, that's a good answer, bud. You know, that, that you talked about is stripping everything away. I've spent probably the last two years of uh, uh, doing that. And even me with, uh, you know, my, my business partner, we ask ourselves these existential questions all the time. We're like, like we won't... We won't do seminars sometimes that we sign up for seminars for. We'll say we won't because we're like, uh, we're just like, well, we're not there yet. Like how, why do we deserve to even get paid for this when we don't even know what we truly are yet, right? So we have these crises all the time. And so for us, it's, it's always about uh, just, are we doing what we truly are meant to do and what we truly love? If we don't love that day, 
what we do that day. And if we have a business opportunity that comes to us and we don't fully love what that environment will create, then we will say, no, we are not, uh, we are not even money driven. And people think we're crazy. There's people on our outside of our, our, our circles that think we are nuts because we don't monetize much at all. We, we give a lot. And, um, and that's what I love about what we do is that like, we will never be influenced, uh, by money. And, uh, and I, yeah, that's why we love, like my family's the same way. We are the same way. Uh, and it's like, if you don't love what you do, you get out. Like, mm. you know, and sometimes it's going to be hard, but like, if you love what you do, you're going to go through that hard shit. And yeah. so, you know, that's where we're at right now. Uh, that's not to say now that money's evil or anything like that. I think a lot of no. I think the vast majority of people who didn't grow up rich like kind of had this perception of oh, money's fucking for rich people who are wankers. It's like, ah, yeah. that's... Yeah, yeah. That, listen, uh, Tony Robinson's a great thing. He says, if... Now, again, I'm paraphrasing here because I just say it in my Irish way, but he's like, he's basically like, if you're an arsehole with a lot of money, you're an arsehole with a lot of money. He's like, sure. if you're a really good person with a lot of money, you're a really good person with a lot of money. So just yeah. say either way. Uh, just before I ask the last question too, uh, have you ever read Ralph Waldo Emerson's Self-Reliance essay? What was that again? Have you ever read Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, his essay called Self-Reliance? Uh, I, think I, I think I have. I think I have that on Kindle. I just think you will, just going off what you said previously about like kind of, you know, forming your own original thoughts things, I think you would absolutely yeah. love that. Essay. That's one of my favorite pieces of writing ever. I listen to it like it's one of those things I listen to, which is kind of ironic because like you're not the original, but you're listening to this like, you know, you know what I mean? his piece. But yeah. it, still, it is, it is still worth reading and, and listening to. But it is like that catch where he was like, is this having an influence on me? Is this not like, like kind of like nearly the antithesis yeah. of the piece? which is really fascinating. Yeah, you know, it's another fucking brain fucking in, in and of itself. Okay, we're going to dinner. Uh, it's on me, and I say to you here, Aaron, you can bring five people to this dinner, and they can be dead or alive, because i got magic powers, baby. Really, it's just really strong smelling salt. Yeah. Um, who are you going to bring to dinner and why? Five people dead or alive. Ooh. Uh, well, en enough for, like, the personal side. Like, just think of it from, like, a straight perspective and just brilliant minds. Uh, I would put uh, Albert St. Georgie uh, on, on that, who is, uh, you know, he was probably the first one to really look at the cell from an electrical standpoint. Um, I'd probably put him on there. Uh, Gilbert Ling would be the other one that I would put on there, too. Tell him to fucking break down that book a little bit for us. Dude, no, I mean, like, I've, I've read that book now for four or five. Actually, I reread his stuff every year multiple times, and uh, – uh, he has, I think, the. He's probably the closest as it real as as real as that I think it, it gets in the sense of like is looking it, at. Is it are. upsetting like to think that so like do you ever know when you come across these geniuses and it's just, isn't it so upsetting like that the vast majority of humans have no idea who that person is. Yeah, but it's. It's not. It's nice to know. I know you're gonna say yeah, it is kind of cool in a way, but at yeah. the same. Yeah, you know, it's just it's just funny, you know. Like even yeah. like say like I always think of Tesla, like you know, and I know a lot more people know who Tesla is, but some people still don't. It's just like Tesla, and like who's Tesla? It's like see the internet, um, and so you, you will have that. Tesla. Yeah, uh, and you know, yeah, Tesla would probably be another one. But uh, I mean, a lot of people that like even some like certain healers that you that are really smart, like savants, I would probably have in. Uh, you know, just because uh, I don't know. I mean. Those would so, probably be the, the three. So we have St. Georgie, we have uh, Gilbert Ling, and he's saying Tesla? Are you saying Tesla? Uh, yeah, throw Tesla in there, right? 
Uh, Who, Tulsa, did you say? Uh, no, 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 Tesla. Tesla, 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 okay. Tesla yeah, yeah. And then uh, who else would I put in there? Um, uh, I like Mei Wan Ho. Mei Wan Ho uh, was like, uh, would be another one that uh, if she was alive, I would, I would probably want in there. Um, and then, uh, Jesus. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like I would say just try to bring the, the brightest people to the table and then like, Oh, you gotta give me one more. Elon Musk. No, no, not. No, just he wants to, saying, just saying. Yeah. He wants to send up Wi-Fi for everybody. Good God. Oh, like a, fuck, man. Of, Can't be at that. Can't yeah. No, none of that. Uh, uh, any political figures? Oh, no. Uh, Eric Otter. Ah, that would actually be, because, like, we could actually derive really good conversation if I had his science on my right side. So, uh, yeah, that and, like, uh, yeah, I would say probably all those guys. And then, obviously, my business partner would probably be on there, too. But uh, oh, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. Any, anybody who's going to stimulate really good conversation with really smart people that have looked at things yeah. a little bit different. Um, because I think if you look at our health and the medical, I mean, we're doing a lot of science and we're not really going anywhere, right? Like we, I think we have something fundamentally wrong somewhere. We have a lot right. I'm not against science. I love science, but uh, there's probably a transition piece that we're missing. Uh, and uh, I think there's been some really good thought on this by, by other people, other scientists. And I think they've been pretty close to getting things right. Uh, so having conversations with them can only help you know, and that's why I would probably have all those people sitting down at the table. Aaron Davis, you are a fucking legend, sir. Imagine if I said, <laughs> imagine if I said this didn't record, but it did. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> now, listen, that was, that was fucking absolutely fantastic. So, Aaron Davis from Train, Adapt, Evolve. Yeah. I nailed it. Uh, where, can people, where can people find out more about you? I'll put everything in the show notes just to let you know in terms of all, any websites and links or anything like that, books you've mentioned. and Because I, I go back and listen to these two or three times before I post them. But where can people find out more about you? You don't, you don't do much on social media. I know you're on Facebook, but you're, you're already on there. Like you said in the Bruce, the Bruce one about like Instagram, like, yeah, we were on there. And it's like, no, nah, we're not really on there. <laughs> yeah, we're doing, we're doing more now. We, my, our assistant's really doing a lot of the marketing right now. So we're, we have a small presence, uh, but Train Adapt Evolve on Instagram, uh, on Facebook. Uh, people can just uh, friend me on, on Facebook and have open comments. You have Twitter? Uh, yeah, I do have Twitter as well. And it's, uh, it's like davis.xc.tf. Uh, it's an old Twitter account. I use mostly just to research, get ideas on research. I like uh, I like Twitter. I I think Twitter. I much prefer Facebook in terms of like the people you follow, because you get like yeah. a lot of like new studies come out, and I, yeah. I like it. It cuts a lot of bullshit too, because you have only like so many characters you can type. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then people can always just email me Davis at trainadaptevolve.com. Um, I hate email, but I, I, uh, By the way, that was train adaptevolve.com. So, uh, um, but I promise I'll answer, but maybe just not in the most timely manner. Yeah. Uh, but, like uh, myself, like myself, I yeah. take my time. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. Listen, Aaron, this is fucking savage. I can't believe how long we went on. Just for the listeners, we're, we're basically rolling two hours and 20 minutes in total time. But uh, and Aaron moved from a coffee shop to, back to his facility to even get better. By the way, your Wi-Fi connection in your facility is quality. Yeah, your it's video, video and audio is great. Yeah, But listen, for the listeners, for now, take care, be well, and stay strong. Thank you.